Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, from the ministries of Bethany Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Ellie Bonilla Jr. declares that we all have different backgrounds and experiences Yet as believers, we have our identity in the Lord. Next, it's former American Idol finalist, singer and musician Scott McIntyre, offering a story of hope that he has experienced through Christ and how his and his wife Christina's ministry work, in spite of his being legally blind and having had two kidney transplants, continues to move forward. And on this edition of The Intersection, Stephen James has written numerous thrillers that approach the subject matter from a Christian worldview perspective and describes his latest work involving a man who works for the military and is trying to find justice in the aftermath of his wife's death. Finally, during the week leading up to the National Day of Prayer on Thursday, May 4th, Josh Zychek of Focus on the Family, who helps to encourage and equip church leaders offers some comments relative to the power of prayer and the importance of the church participating in it. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. I had the chance recently to talk with Ellie Bonilla Jr. He is next-gen pastor at Bethany Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as well as the National Millennial Director for the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. He also serves as NextGen Regional Co-Chair for North America with Empowered 21. In our conversation, he discussed the principles he highlights in the book called Mixed, Embracing Complexity by Uncovering Your God-Led Identity. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation is Ellie Bonilla, Jr. We are all mixed. I have a part in the book, uh, a subchapter called It's Not That Simple. And uh, I have a buddy of mine, he is uh, Dominican, uh, raised in Washington Heights, New York. And, uh, and he gave kind of like a, a, a mini talk at, a, at an event we were doing together. And, and he brought up a point uh, about people not being uh, simple, like they can't be categorized. They can't just mm. uh, be placed in a box. And, and he talked about this, um, uh, this identifiers versus identity. And oftentimes it's, it's easy to fall into categories when you base your identity off your identifiers, meaning what you look like, right? Uh, and, 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 and oftentimes when you base things off of what you look like, where you live, or what you wear, you tend to diminish the beautiful complexity of what all uh, has accumulated into the being you are. And so when I say, hey, I, I might be race, uh, mixed uh race and mixed ethnically, that's not the only mixture inside of me. I'm also mixed through my experiences. I'm mixed in my relationships. I'm mixed in my uh, my taste in music, mixed in my taste in movies. You know, just because I look like the person next to me doesn't mean that we're the same. We, we come from a mixed environment. And so the point that I try to make with, it's not that simple. No one's that simple, whether you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, um, indigenous, regardless of where you come from, you have at one point or another felt like an outsider in your own story, that there was something that was mixed in you that caused the distinction. And so you might be an identical twin, but your experiences, the mixture of those things 
um, are some things that we have to grapple with. And I believe if you begin to grapple with those things, it will start to open your eyes to the complexity of your neighbor and thus bring empathy and conversations around topics like this. You're listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Ellie Bonilla joining us today here on the uh, on the program. Next Gen Regional Co-Chair for North America with Empower 21, also National Millennial Director for the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. He is the Global Next Gen Pastor at Bethany Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the author of this book called Mixed. And really, in a sense, and I don't want to be so minimalist because, like you say, I believe you said there's a chapter in the book that says it's not that simple because we, we are each unique. We are created by God. We are wired in a certain way. And we are also, I, you know, I, I tread cautiously in describing human beings as products, but we really are a product of, Mm. of our experiences even of our right. environment. And while, yes, God has get wired us in a certain way, and there is, of course, there's always this debate on heredity versus environment and things of that sort. Right. And I think Nature that, versus nurture. Yeah. And so as yeah. we really reckon with some of these issues and look at it biblically, it really does come down to that subject of who we are in Christ and how we appropriate that in our lives. So if you would, Ellie, comment on how you have seen God lead you and how you communicated in the book as far as the importance of identity in your own story. Yeah, I, I think there there were are two types of boxes that I tried to illuminate within the book. It's I think the the first box is the box of categories that society, culture, and others make for us, right? That you can only be this thing, you can only be that thing, and you know, pay, or pick a side, tribalism, you know, all the places that people want to place the other. I think that's the the first uh, box that we have to. Or, or not putting them in order. That's one of the boxes we have to grapple with. And then the second one is uh, the box we choose to put ourselves in. You know, because sometimes we don't want to uh, handle the baggage of needing to navigate the complexity of who we are. And, and sometimes it's easier to live a simple life. It's easier to say, I'm just this or I'm just that. Without doing the work of saying, well, perhaps there's a divine design that has orchestrated all of these things to be a part of who I am, right? It's that Romans 8.28 where, where we hear he makes all things work together for the good of those that are that love God and are called according to his purpose. And I think that that doesn't just mean uh, the good and the bad things that happen in life. It's the big and the small things. It's kind of everything weaved together. Ellie Bonilla Jr. here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting his website. It's Ellie E-L-I, Bonilla, B-O-N-I-L-L-A, and then J-R for Junior, EllieBoniaJr.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's former American Idol finalist Scott McIntyre. He is legally blind and has had two kidney transplants. In the course of our recent conversation, he shared about God's faithfulness and the ministry in which he and his wife, Christina, are involved. He also discussed the Enduring Hope television special, which shares its name with the podcast the two of them host. Here now from that conversation is Scott McIntyre. We're so excited at how God's using it. And 
our strategy with the the television special has kind of been to take what we would normally do uh, if we're ministering at a church or if we're in a school or you know we're we're sharing in person with a group of people, but to take that to places that we can't be in person. And so it's kind of cool. Over the last while, it's been airing in a new city or cities every week. And so it's kind of like its own little little tour where we can be in one city in person, but then the TV special will be um, sharing the gospel over in Cincinnati or over, you know, in Toronto or in, uh, you know, in Atlanta or pick your, pick your city. It's mm-hmm. aired in Nashville a number of times. Um, and, and it's, it's cool. You know, people will see it and God has, God has a way of doing this. He'll bring people to their television at the right time, whether it's, you know, walking by it in the morning and they stop and say, Oh, Hey, that's the, that's the American idol guy. Let me listen. Um, and then they hear the gospel or one guy wrote us a, a, a note after um, seeing it in the hospital in the middle of the night, you know, that happens a number of, of times that we've seen um, that people have told us about where they're laying in their hospital bed and just, you know, it, it comes on and God uses it to give the encouragement these individuals need at that very moment i remember that that guy i'm thinking of reached out and he said man i'm just i'm laying here uh wishing that i had i had served god better with my life i think he had become a christian recently but he was kind of at the end of his life and he left his phone number so i i called him and i was thinking you know i'm 37 now so i you know he was he was older than that i'll tell you (laughs) you know um but uh I, i was just thinking like what do i have to share with someone who's lived twice as long as me and you know what what am i going to say and god put on my heart the story of the two criminals on the crosses next to jesus um except he he kind of gave me something new and i thought you know what that guy who trusted jesus that thief who trusted jesus in the final moments of his life uh not only is that a great story we love to share right because we we tell people it's never too late to come to Jesus, right? But I I doubt that that criminal knew when he made that decision that we'd still be talking about it 2,000 years later. And those moments, those final moments of his life became the most important, uh, not only for his sake, but uh, in, in a sense, it, it, it had a ripple effect through all of history because we're still talking about it and, and who's to say it couldn't be any different for this guy. And so I, I, I encouraged him. We got to pray together. And that's, that's the story of many people that, uh, that see the television special. They, they find enduring hope through it. Um, but uh, we get to talk a lot of times too, which is very meaningful. And I think that's what I was referring to just kind of uh, leaning into the relational side of this, being able to ask our ministry yeah. partners, Hey, can you pray? for this person who's struggling that saw the tv special you know we're, we're really trying to um to give people hope and to not just give it to them and run away but to actually support them in that scott mcintyre here on the intersection you can find out more at scottmcintyre.com this is the intersection podcast a weekly production of the meeting house and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. 
Through that Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection podcast as well as the Meeting House program. You can find links to the podcast in the Media Center as well as its Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can find video content through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. A link is provided. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Stephen James. He has written numerous thrillers that approach the subject matter from a Christian worldview perspective. In our conversation, he described his latest work entitled Broker of Lies, involving a man who works for the military and is trying to find justice in the aftermath of his wife's death. Here now from that conversation is Stephen James. It's like, they're not sermons, but they actually do ask big questions about God, free will, does it exist, do our lives have meaning, does does it? Uh, why does evil exist? And what what are the bounds of justice? And um, how much uh, forgive is forgiveness available? So I always deal with a big question. So unlike some of my peers, I don't start with an agenda. Like I'm not trying to teach a lesson with my books. Instead, I'm trying to explore a moral question or dilemma. And so in that way. Um, they do come from what I believe about the world, that redemption is available, hope me- is meaningful, and, and uh, that, we, that actually we need, um, you know, because of evil in our world, in our hearts, we actually do need, you know, a, a redeemer. And, um, but again, the, the books um, usually have one or two Christian characters, but then a wide variety of other characters and viewpoints. But I always try to come up with the, this uh, this interesting interesting dilemma for the book. So with Broker of Lies, it actually deals with um, this idea of justice and revenge. Where does the um, line uh, between them lie? And uh, mm-hmm. how far can you go <laughs> with justice uh, before it becomes vengeance? And um, and how much of that is our our job and our responsibility to see justice carried out if our government does not do so. Now, your main character, his name is Travis Brock, and you're going to have to explain some of the the different aspects of this guy, like what he does, as well as a very unique feature that he has in his brain. And then we'll talk just a bit about just a, a horrific event that occurred in his life that kind of sets things in motion. So if you would, please set that up for us. Sure, yeah. So he works in the basement of the Pentagon reviewing top secret Department of Defense files, and he has an eidetic or basically almost photographic memory. And so he is the one who decides what information can and cannot remain uh, open to the public or top secret and so on. So basically, he's this guy who knows all our secrets. I thought that would be fascinating to write about a character like that who has this kind of special, you know, a cognitive ability 
and uh, but also knows all these secrets. And so, of course, things don't go quite as planned in uh, in the story. And some a foreign power finds out about him, comes after him, and while he's on the run, he needs to stop a terror attack. So there's a lot going on. And uh, but um, but he's a very interesting character. He doesn't start off as like your typical action hero. But he ends up having to rise to the occasion to actually stop this this event from occurring. So that's a little bit about him. And then, you know, what gets his story started is there's this tragic fire at his at his home when, in which he is uh, burned quite quite severely, and he loses his wife in the fire. So throughout the story, he has this sort of hidden agenda of trying to mm. re- enact um, justice or revenge. Uh, on those who had committed the uh, the arson at the beginning of the story. So while there's um, a big external struggle, of course, he's trying to stop this attack, there's also this deep internal struggle yeah. of wrestling through with these questions. I find it fascinating, uh, just this whole idea of justice, that if you believe in justice, you must believe in the afterlife. Because some people get away with things in this world that... Mm. Uh, that there is no justice for that. And and some people, um, you know, commit horrible crimes and die and, and never face justice. So if, if you believe in justice, you must believe in an afterlife. And if you believe in an afterlife, obviously you must believe in a just God and mm-hmm. who, who is bearing that out. And so I think it's fascinating to talk to people and say, do you believe justice exists? And if they'll say, well, yeah, I actually do. Then it's, it opens up an interesting uh, conversation. If they say, well, actually, no, I don't believe justice exists, then it's interesting to say, well, why do we all want it to? Like, if you look in the, well, there's no justice in the jungle. <laughs> so it's like, so we all, you know, we kind of like wish it were, life was fair. And, but, um, but when you look around, there's really no evidence for a, like a just or fair world unless there is something more to it. Mm. Stephen James here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting his website at Stephen with a V, James.net. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, in advance of the National Day of Prayer held the first Thursday of May, which was May 4th this year, Josh Zajcek, the Director of Church Engagement at Focus on the Family, offered comments relative to the importance of the event and how churches can benefit from participating in prayer. Here now from that conversation is Josh Zajcek. I think uniquely about the Chronicles passage you referenced, you had the people of God in the land of God, and it was this theocratic state is what theologians call it, right? It was Mm. a land that was both governed by God and um, and for his people. We live in a, in a world, and specifically in America, where it is not a country devoted to the Lord at, at all levels. And so how do we pray? It's a great question to ask. Um, and I think the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is a really helpful um, uh, directive for how we should pray. Um, there's at least five things in that passage that are informative to me. Um, one, it starts out with hallowed be your name, right? There's, there's an orientation that God is holy. God is the one who can, who, who, who deserves our worship, our praise, and our prayer, the one who can affect our situations. Um, it's his agenda that we have in focus, his uh, kingdom come, his will be done is the second item there. Um, it reminds us that we need to, to 
be about his kingdom, which is really beyond just a, a, a national country, but it's, a, it's his spiritual kingdom that we want to see taking place in the hearts and lives of people. It, there's certainly a reliance on him, thirdly, of, of all of our needs, our daily bread, and, um, but much more than that. And so it's appropriate to take our needs to the Lord when we are rightly oriented under who he is as holy. Um, but I think largely that, that passage is so informative because it talks about our need to seek his forgiveness um, because mm-hmm. we violate, all of us, God's moral standards. We have to be uh, seeking forgiveness from the Lord on a regular basis and then asking him to prevent us personally from temptation, help guard us from evil and temptation. I think if we were as a people of God doing that, that would have an impact on our country. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We are not of this world, yet we are placed in this world. And we are called to be, as even as citizens of heavenly kingdom, we are also citizens of the, the nations in which we live. Of course, I guess you could say we're citizens of the world, but also of our nation and various states and communities where we reside. So as we think about the National Day of Prayer and being citizens of a heavenly kingdom, how does that inform us as we really relate to and pray for, as we might say, the kingdoms of this world? Yeah, that's a great question. You look at the Psalms, and the Psalms are filled with people really begging God and and calling on God to hear their prayers, uh, to hear about their oppression, to hear about their depression, their anxieties. Um, We're called throughout Scripture to pray for things like our enemies, our suffering, our anxieties. These are things that we see around us, and and some of it is a result of the country we live in. Um, Some of it is just living next to neighbors who are hurting. Um, Some of it's our own families. And so when I think about praying for our nation, I think about God hears these prayers, and and we have it modeled in the Psalms that God listens to the voice of his people. Um, And so it's it's something that I think we should look at the country, look at what's going wrongly, what is not in alignment with God's will, and and ask him to bring about change. Um, it's totally appropriate to do that. It's totally appropriate to pay, pray for our leaders that their hearts would be changed. Um, and, and you see examples of that in the, in the scriptures as well. So I, I think it's, it probably starts with what is what do you see around you locally and, and nationally and then perhaps globally as well that is not in alignment with God's will and ask mm. him to affect change. Josh Zychek from Focus on the Family here on The Intersection. You can find out more through FocusOnTheFamily.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition. You can learn more by going to MeetingHouseOnline.info or by visiting the programming section at FaithRadio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you can find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program. You can also find links to the podcast to the Media Center as well as its Apple podcast feed. Plus, you can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. A link is provided. 
Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.